I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society Gardening Podcast. I'm Jenny Bowden. Here at RHS Garden Wisley, March is a wonderful and incredibly busy time for all the horticultural teams. Later on, we'll be seeing how the new developments in the garden here in Surrey are coming along. Plus, we'll be discussing the pleasures of houseplants with a lifelong enthusiast. But first, let's head to the advisory office to discuss some of the gardening questions you've sent to us this month. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt, Principal Horticulture Advisor at RHS Garden Wisley. Today I'm joined by Rob Sterling Hello. and Guy Barter. Hello. And the first question comes from Suzanne White in Birmingham. Listening to your houseplant special podcast, I've been inspired to bring some greenery into my home. We have two cats and a dog. I understand some plants can be dangerous or toxic to animals. Which should I avoid? Right. Well, I can see uh, Rob's been drawing up a list here. So what's best, do you think? Have a look on the Dogs Trust website, which has a whole list of plants, not just indoor plants but also garden plants which could be quite dangerous to dogs but some of the more common indoor plants I mean for example hippiastrum or the Christmas amaryllis that's a toxic plant if a dog gets hold of that and starts chewing it it could actually be fatal aloe vera as well the burn plant liable to cause diarrhea and upset stomachs in dogs indoor asparagus ferns, many of the philodendrons, devil's ivy, and uh, agleonima, which is called a Chinese evergreen, as well as some of the dracaenas. They're all toxic to dogs, and it's a good idea really to grow them in a room which is out of bounds to the dog or make sure that they're out of reach. Guy, you're a cat owner. Is cat and dog plant toxicity the same thing? Um, No, I think that uh, different plants are harmful, potentially harmful, to dogs and cats but I would say that I've been giving advice for 20 years and not once in that time have I come across a case where a cat or a dog has been harmed by indoor plants so although one should be mindful of these things um, there's no reason to discard all your house plants at this time. I think one of the factors is that pets that are in all day are more likely to chew and munch things so as Lee was saying if your dog or your cat is going to be in all day put plants that are potentially harmful um, in the part of the house they can't access. And don't forget that it's not just house plants. Uh, cut flowers should also be treated with caution. In the United States, where cats can't go out because of coyotes and such like, 
um, and where lilies, a very common cut flower, uh, lily pollen um, has been known to cause harm to cats and therefore in America they either use lilies that are pollenless or they keep the lilies and cats well separated. And if you want to put the boot on the other foot, you can sow some grass in a pot, and then that might distract your pooch or your cat from munching on the houseplants, because they'll have some nice grass, which, as everyone knows, they like to nibble for medicinal purposes. The next question is from Colleen O'Donnell from Brighton, and she asks, I've heard news reports about Xylella virus arriving in Britain from overseas. How do I recognise it and avoid buying plants with this infection and spreading it in my garden? Well, uh, Xylella is actually a bacteria uh, rather than a virus. And the plant bacteria are really rather uncommon. It's usually fungal diseases that affect plants and bacterial diseases that affect people. Um, But being a bacteria, clearly fungicides are not possible, well, wouldn't be effective. Um, The Xylella bacteria is widely known in the New World. It causes a lot of problems in North America and South America. Um, and it affects a wide range of host plants. Grapevines, for example, are, are very badly affected in parts of America. So there's different strains of xylella that uh, cause problems. The strain that we're concerned about at the moment is one that suddenly turned up in Italy. Uh, it's unclear how it got to Italy, but it's proving extremely destructive to olive trees, uh, to grapevines, uh, rosemary and lavender, a pretty little South African shrub called Polygala, um, and it's not treatable except by digging plants up and burning them. So at the moment, it's largely confined to Italy with sporadic outbreaks around the Mediterranean. It's spread by a little creature called a leafhopper, which is like a green fly, but as you might guess, it moves around a bit, hops from the leaves. The leafhopper that spreads it is known in Britain, but it's unclear how the bacteria will behave in Britain. Plant bacteria are things of hot climates, so it may not be as damaging in Britain as it is in the Mediterranean, but we don't really want to find out. Now, one of the most difficult things about this xylella is that it affects the conductive tissue of plants, the bits that move water around the plant, and as a result, you get bits of plants dying off. I think only one case has been found recently at the ports and in ports and that's the coffee plant so we're relying on nurseries overseas and plant inspectors at the ports and of course nurserymen in Britain recognise this and report it it's really difficult for a gardener Um, it would be wise if you can to speak to your local garden centres and your nurseries and buy plants that are raised in Britain where possible and perhaps avoid olive trees that have been imported what we're doing at our RHS flower shows is We're asking our suppliers not to use certain plants like rosemary, lavender, olives, polygala, and also to quarantine trees where they can, and certainly in future, for at least 12 months so the bacteria doesn't get in. Realistically, it probably will arrive in Britain at some stage, and then there'll be zones where we'll try and contain it, but uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. The next email is from R. Anderton from Suffolk. They're inquiring about what are the best varieties of artichokes to grow and how long it will be until the crop is ready. Is it possible to have a crop in the same year? Guy, what would you say? Well, it all depends which kind of artichoke one um, wants to grow. Um, because there's three different kinds of artichokes. There's a Chinese artichoke, which has funny little maggot-like roots. It doesn't sound very appetising, but they they are quite charming. And you just grow that in a a moist soil. You'll get a crop come late autumn. 
The other kind of artichoke comes from North America and is closely related to sunflowers. And all you do here is you plant in winter and up they come. They grow mighty tall. Sometimes they have a little sunflower on the top and you get these roots which are actually really rather tasty. I would say they don't form the roots until the autumn. These are very much a winter vegetable. But the best kind of artichoke in my view is the globe artichoke which is widely grown in Mediterranean countries. It has beautiful grey spiky leaves. It can fit into ornamental borders if you're short of space and it sends up rather nice flowers that open blue and uh, can be used for flower arranging but by then they're way past their best in my view they taste best when they're they're golf ball size you pick them up and you um, you cut them and you boil them and have them with a little mayonnaise so there's three kinds of artichokes all of which i grow and which i find an awful lot of fun well we have a question from d jones of cardiff who says i'd like to expand my collection of plants by dividing and swapping some with neighbors which perennials can i divide and when is the best time to do it lee you're a good man of a perennial what do you think perennials we're talking about the things that die down entirely and all those stems are dead over the winter and then at the bottom at this time you've got lots of little shoots so i'm thinking about things like asters and flocks those traditional border perennials you get a big clump of them over time and often they need lifting and dividing anyway because you get dead bits in the middle and you want the nice live healthy bits around the outside so not only is it good practice to share them with your friends it's also good to lift them divide and keep the the sections on the outside that are really healthy dig some compost or well rotted manure back into the soil and position them back in and water them well there's not exactly a minimum size to divide to but I think as a general guide something about sort of four or six inches across would be a good minimum size because then you'll get a decent amount of display on that crop but you can put odd numbers really so threes fives sevens back into the ground it's not too late to do some of the deciduous grasses as well so some of the things like calamagrostis where they again die down in the winter but they shoot from the bottom they're pretty forgiving even at this time of year so dig them up make sure you get plenty of the roots with them and then either tease them apart with your fingers if they'll come if not a knife or even a spade you might lose a bit down the edge in terms of where you've chopped you might lose a few of the shoots but there'll still be plenty enough to grow away get them back in water them well keep them well watered for the early summer part and they should grow away really with very little check. I was just going to say that um, while one's doing this, it's a good opportunity to see if there's any vine weevil if you're dividing hostas and virginias and if there are um, discard the vine weevils and um, select bits of plant that are free of disease. Also, remember the old gardener's saying, beware friends bearing gifts, um, because some plants, which people have got a lot of and they're very keen to get rid of, I'm thinking like goldenrod, which is solidago or helianthus, are actually really just a little bit too willing. So... If you feel that uh, you're about to be put upon, accept the plants gracefully and put them on the bonfire or in the compost bin. The advisory team provides free assistance with gardening inquiries for RHS members all through the year. You can reach us by email, phone, letter or chat to us in person at RHS Gardens and Flower Shows. On our podcast webpage, you can find links to information on how to join, plus details of all the other subjects discussed today. See rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Now, houseplants. The popularity of indoor plants has been enjoying a renaissance in recent years. 
And about time too, many of us cry. Long considered by many a bit old-fashioned or perhaps difficult to maintain, they are becoming fashionable again. And plant lovers and scientists are waxing lyrical about the benefits they can bring. One person who has always maintained a passion for houseplants is Wisley curator Matthew Pottage. His home and office are veritable indoor jungles. We fought through the foliage to learn more about his favourite species. So I've always had an interest in houseplants. I know they're very fashionable at the moment, which is brilliant. But I grew up with lots of houseplants around me and continue to this day to fill my office with houseplants and have way too many houseplants at home. But it's really great to see this newfound fashion and love for so many ages, backgrounds, people in different, you know, flats, apartments, houses. And in, even in shops, actually, when you're walking down the high street in retail, there's, there's plants in window displays as part of clothing displays. And, you know, houseplants can bring all the great benefits that outdoor plants bring. You know, this calmness, the greenery, that joy and reward of growing and nurturing something. And obviously in an indoor situation, the air purifying qualities that houseplants can bring too. And... While it's fashionable at the moment and lots of people might be heading out to find houseplants because that's what everyone's doing, I really hope there's there's a percentage there, and I'm sure there will be, of people that get bitten by the bug of growing things and, you know, they're the first steps for, you know, future gardeners. And houseplants are a great beginner's thing. They're quite affordable. Anyone can do it if you've got a windowsill or some space at home. You don't necessarily need acres of gardens. It's just such a super first step, really. With things like cacti and succulents, if you're not that confident and you think, oh, I'm, you know, I maybe go away a lot on weekends or I'm worried I'm going to kill something, a lot of cacti and succulents are actually quite forgiving. And that kind of leads me on to my next point with thinking cacti and succulents. I think an area where a lot of people maybe go wrong with houseplants is they don't give them enough light. And especially in the winter months when light levels are low, an attractive spot for a houseplant might be in the corner of the room or on top of the bookcase, but how much natural daylight does it get? So you always need to think about that. As a very, very vague kind of rule of thumb, quite a, a broad brush guide would be, you know, larger, darker leaves, flatter leaves, things like aspidestras or peace lilies or Swiss cheese plants. They're better in lower light levels. Succulents, cactus, blue leaf things, which would naturally have higher light levels in nature, will want to be much closer to a window. So and also actually just think about what direction your windows face. So if you've got north and east facing windows, they're great for ferns, foliage plants. South and west facing windows, which tend to cook a lot more, especially in the summer, are perfect for cacti and succulents. So just think about that. If you're going to head out and buy yourself a few pot plants, you know, just take two minutes to pause. What direction do your windows face? So you're, you know, you're on the road to success. Some of my top five favourite houseplants, where it's hard to get it down to five, but I'm thinking about some things that I really love and maybe you'd want to try too. I'm going to start with an old classic, which was big in the 70s, and that is the Swiss cheese plant. They've got so much character. And as they get older, the leaves get more and more divided. They look like Swiss cheese. They've got all these holes and perforations. And in the wild, they will climb up a tree. And as those big leaves get higher up the tree the wind can then filter through those holes without ripping and trashing the leaves. So often people wonder, you know, why do they have all these funny holes and why are all these roots coming out the sides of the stem? And those roots in nature would anchor themselves to a tree trunk or a rock face. 
in your living room, they can run along the skirting board, they can root into the floor, they can stick to the walls, which is quite fun. But if that's not for you, you need a moss pole or some kind of support that those roots can wrap themselves into. And when they head down towards the bottom of the plant, you can just direct them into the pot and they will root into the compost. So if you don't want to have the roots moving along the bottom of your skirting boards, that's that's the thing to do. But they are, like I said, they've got a lot of character. They can go in a shadier room. They're really good in, you know, against a wall where they can almost display their leaves almost flat to the wall so you can really enjoy them or if you've got quite a bit of space you could have it freestanding in the middle of a room or with light and air around it but uh, they will take up quite a bit of space because they do get quite large leaves there is a variegated type of swiss cheese plant available look it up online it's quite fabulous and the leaves are splashed with white variegation they are harder to come by but they are absolutely fabulous if you if you see it and you can grow it well they are a real picture and then on a similar kind of foliage plant vein one of the figs ficus livata the fiddle leaf fig is another plant with loads of personality almost big cardboardy like leaves they can get quite tall eventually but you can prune them you can keep them more bushy and sometimes they're available with three or four plants in a pot so you have quite a bushy plant straight away but they are appearing all over the place at the moment actually they have quite a contemporary look about them and back in, I guess when you know houseplants were last fashionable in the 70s and early 80s, and the rubber plant, Ficus elastica, was everywhere then, and it seems now its sister Ficus lyrata is kind of in the limelight. They're both really good value, long-lived, easy-to-grow houseplants. And Ficus and cheese plants, they're both quite vigorous plants. They like food and they like water. So be quite liberal with both of those, especially in the summer months. And then if you're maybe not quite so experienced or you're worried about killing something because perhaps you don't get around to water it or you you often forget to water things, probably one of the most indestructible plants, and it's a bit of a classic, is the mother-in-law's tongue, Sansevieria. And there's lots of different types of mother-in-law's tongue. And I wrote an article for the RHS Garden magazine, which hopefully some of the listeners would have seen, on the diversity of mother-in-law's tongues. And I've got a lovely one in my office here at Wisley called Bantle Sensation, which has a white variegation. But the great thing about mother-in-law's tongue is they will go in sun, they'll go in shade, and they are very difficult to kill. You know, the easiest way to kill it would be to leave it outdoors in a frost. And hopefully no one would do that with their houseplants. But they are really quite bomb-proof plant so it's a good beginner's plant to start with and on a similar kind of semi-succulent related note an aloe which i'm really really fond of is aloe erinacea which is completely blue with white spines perfect for a sunny windowsill you know you could forget about that for weeks and weeks probably months in the winter without any water and it'll be absolutely fine it's got a lovely little habit to it quite compact Put that in quite a sleek, plain pot, modern pot, and it will just look absolutely spot on. If you've got the space, you know, the same thing repeated in three types of similar pots, three or five of them on a windowsill will just look really good in a modern setting. And then finally, one that is completely different. If you want something with a bit of floral bling, something that I think is quite fun is a plant called a lollipop plant. It's Latin is Pachystachys lutea, lutea meaning yellow. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it has a long-lived flower known as a bract, which is an upright yellow bract. And then the true flowers pop out the sides of that, and they're little white flowers, and it almost looks a bit lollipop-like. It's a really good long-lived houseplant. Again, it needs food and water and plentiful supply in the summer, 
but we'll flower away and it's just something that will add a bit of colour to your room. But with all the other houseplants, and you know, as again, as a general rule, people often forget about feeding. And if your plant's growing away but looking a bit pale or the leaves are looking a bit yellow, it will be a feeding deficiency, you know, a feeding issue. You can get slow-release fertilizer tablets you can push into the compost. If you're good at remembering these things when you're out with the watering can, a liquid feed is also a good fix. But to be honest, the slow-release tablet fertilizers are brilliant, easy. Push them in the compost. Some of them will be three to six months, and that will do the job for you. Matthew Pottage. If you found Matthew's enthusiasm infectious, why not listen to our recent podcast special all about houseplants? You can hear a scientific perspective on which plants are best to combat air pollution and get expert tips on choosing and caring for plants in your home. Out in the garden here at Wisley in Surrey, the huge redevelopment programme is progressing rapidly. It's very exciting to see the new structures and garden areas translating from the plans into reality. We spoke to the garden team to hear how work in some of the new areas is coming along. My name is Emma Allen and I'm the garden manager for Formal and Decorative Display. So we're here on Top Terrace, which was traditionally where we did bedding displays, large scale. But due to various diseases in the soil and having done bedding here for many, many years, quite often our bedding gets fungal diseases and other pests and it's just not really become practical to have bedding here on such a large scale. And so uh, an idea was generated amongst the, uh, the gardening team a couple of years ago. It'd be nice to have Wisteria Tunnel. Wisteria is one of Wisley's signature plants that we have it growing above the Walshley Pavilion. We've got standards in front of the lab and going into the Bowesline Rose Garden, we have it along our bridges and growing up trees. So um, the idea of having a, a, a long tunnel that people can walk through the Wisteria was mooted and was received well by all. So we're just standing now on top terrace, uh, which is more of a construction site at the moment. The path's been widened either side and um, the first half of the tunnel is going in. The tunnel in total is 75 metres in length, but this is broken into two halves, 35 metres one side, 40 metres the other. And that's to ensure that we keep the central terrace area clear so you get those wonderful views up to Battleston Hill through the mixed borders. The tunnel is four and a half metres wide and 3.9 metres in height. So it's a big structure, but as we know, wisteria is very vigorous and it will cover it very quickly. We've got two different cultivars of wisteria that we're going to use. They're both known for their very long racemes or flower, flower spikes. And one is wall purple, which is a lovely dark colour, which is very nicely scented as well. We've also got kimono, which is uh, is a lighter colour, with it's got a darker centre. And we're going to plant these, every other one together, mix them up a bit more so that if there is a delay in flowering between the two cultivars, it won't affect the overall appearance of, of the very long tunnel. Um, but they were chosen because they do tend to flower at about the same time. Once the tunnel's in, we're also going to be putting 20 uh, individual pieces of yew topiary. So we'll have, uh, we've got these uh, uh, grass panels, so on each side, so there's four in total on each side of the, the uh, two parts of the tunnel. 
Um, and so they'll each have five of these pieces of topiary in. And then we're going to put some lovely copper beach topiary around the central terraced area. And the urn that's currently there will have a pool around the bottom of it with eight jets, we hope, going into the urn. And then the urn will overflow into the pool below. So we'll have a lovely water feature in the middle too. And we plan to underplant the tunnel probably with the first year just with some cosmos for a bit of summer flower power. And then we'll plant some bulbs, maybe something like Scylla or Chinodoxa in uh, autumn so that we get an early season interest before the wisteria leafs up and, and goes into flower and does its thing. So at least so we're expanding the um, season of interest by using the tapery and the bulbs as well as the, the incredible wisteria, which when you see 75 metres of wisteria flowering is going to be quite a spectacle. Emma Allen. You can find more information, plans and photographs from the developments at Wisley and the other RHS gardens on our programme page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. That's almost all we have time for on today's podcast. There's just time to flag up a couple of events coming soon for garden lovers. If you love orchids, and let's face it, who doesn't? Then why not pay a visit to the Orchid Show at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey on the 10th of March. See colourful displays of rare flowers, learn how to care for your orchids at free workshops during the day and talk to friendly experts from the Orchid Society of Great Britain. The show runs from 11 till 4 and it's free with normal garden entry. And talking of free, you can get into the other three RHS gardens, Harlow Carr in Yorkshire, Rosemore in Devon and Hyde Hall in Essex without paying a penny on Tuesday the 20th of March. All the more reason to put a spring in your step and head out into the great outdoors. More details, as always, on the website. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, you can join in the conversation via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how 
with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.